Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. Hi, this is Pastor Joel Webbin with Right Response Ministries. You're listening to another episode of Theology Applied. In this episode, I was pleased to have as a special guest, Eric Kahn from The Hard Man Podcast. If you've ever listened to The Hard Man Podcast, you know that Eric Kahn, he is the man. He does a great job. He's kind of in the vein of Michael Foster with It's Good to Be a Man. He's also teamed up with guys in Moscow like Doug Wilson, Jeff Durbin. So he's right there in kind of the same tribe, same vein that our ministry, Right Response, would be a part of. And what we talk about about in this particular episode is the danger of soft men. We talk about how soft men actually lead towards the death of more lives when soft men are in leadership than hard men. Uh, we talk about what does it mean biblically to be a hard man. We talk about uh, men in soft clothing from Matthew chapter 11 verses 7 through 12. Men in soft clothing, you can find them in the, the palaces of kings. But what did you go out into the wilderness to see? You went to see an actual masculine man. John the Baptist, he's eating low is. He's wearing camel skin. You went to go and see a man. So we talk about grit. We talk about gravitas. We talk about um, how effeminacy is a sin. You may not be a homosexual. You may not be a sodomite, which would be the biblical term. Uh, but when you walk like a woman and you talk like a woman, but you're actually a man by God's design, that in itself is a sin. Even if you never commit the sin, the action of homosexuality, effeminacy is a sin. So we talk about all these things in this episode of Theology Applied. You're in for a treat. Tune in now. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. I'm your host, Pastor Joel Webber with Right Response Ministries. Today, I am privileged to have as a special guest, Eric Kahn from Hard Man Podcast. I want to say the Hard Man Podcast but I don't know if he's so presumptuous to say it's the top one or the only one. It's just one of the hard men podcasts out there. Is that correct? <laughs> no, it is the, Oh, it is like the, the okay. Southern Baptist <laughs> theological seminary. It's that kind of the, okay. yes, that's absolutely right. This is the hard man, but Michael Foster, eat your heart out. This is the hard right. man podcast. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about your podcast, about your ministry. What, what, who, who is Eric Kahn? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I did go to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm sorry. I've since become a Presbyterian. <laughs> um, and somewhere along the way, started this podcast. So the, the tagline is recovering biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Mm. Uh, one of the things that happened when I left seminary, I went and pastored in a rural context. And one of the things I noticed, right, all the people in my church, they're coal miners, they're oil field workers really salt of the earth people, farmers, ranchers, et cetera. And we saw a lot of, in the community, we saw a lot of seminary guys from multiple denominations come through town. And one of the, the overwhelming thing that I saw was, wow, there is just a juxtaposition between the salt of the earth people and then sort of these like white collar, effeminate guys who were coming out of the seminary. Right. So one day I write a blog post and I'm like, you know what? I think that there's a, something about the seminary and particularly Southern. It was very Ivy League. Mm -hmm. uh, you had a lot of soft guys coming out of that context. I wasn't really thinking deeply on masculinity at the time. I write this post, uh, put it up on my blog at the time. You know, it's like my mom, my grandma and like a few other people are reading my blog back in the day. Like I was 
I was past the day when blogs were even cool, you know, and people were onto podcasts. I wasn't doing you that, that yet. Ship. Yeah. <laughs> you missed the blog. I, I did totally. Yeah. So that post goes out and I, within the first month of it coming out, uh, I think it had 250,000 page views. Wow. And it was really at that point, I started reaching out to people, getting to know some of the people who, you know, are in this space now pretty prominently, Michael Foster, uh, Toby Sumter. I heard him speak on a number of issues related to masculinity that really got me thinking along these lines and um, really came to like a Matthew 11 understanding of there's actually uh, something to be said in scripture about Malachos, effeminacy. Mm-hmm. And so I really just started with the book, unpacking it, looking at the text of scripture, looking at what the, the historical church has said about this, finding out whether well, there's actually a lot. Um, and, and then comparing that really to the church today, I, I found very quickly that if you talked about Malachos, you talked about effeminacy in the church, uh, people, it was like hitting a beehive. You know, people were like really irate about this issue. Yeah, they were. Let's talk about that for a second. Malikos. All right. So uh, you can go to bed like a woman, being a man, go to bed like a woman. That would be a sodomite. Um, but you can go to bed like a man as a man, but get out of bed like a woman. All right. You walk like a woman. You talk like a woman. You behave like a woman, even though you're still sexually in terms of who you're sleeping with at night. You sleep with a woman as a man. So you're, you're straight, but effeminate, right? Malikos. I think a lot of people, as long as that guy doesn't go to bed with another man, he can be as effeminate as he wants to be. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So really what I started to see is that most interpreters, modern interpreters wanted to view this word, you know, first Corinthians chapter six. They wanted to view this word as only the passive partner in homosexual relationship. Well, you start to look at the word and that's, you know, especially Matthew 11, that's not how the word is being used. In fact, as, as you're mentioning, it's really about mannerisms, how you carry yourself, how you speak. Um, one of the things that was interesting side by side, as I was studying this, you know, studying the Greek, studying the terminology, history of interpretation, I, I was also looking at what the LGBT community was doing. Um, I happen to actually have a lot of friends who were, you know, uh, acquaintances, works and stuff like that, who we could have a conversation about these things at the time. And they would say, you know, one guy I asked, he said, I have a lisp. And I said, is that natural? And he said, no, it's, it's to make other people, you know, feel uncomfortable. And uh, as I started researching it, um, even like LGBT professors were like in the transgender movement, especially they were teaching people how to act more gay, right. how to act the opposite sex. So even they were picking up on this theme that, um, you know, Malikos effeminacy is, is a whole list of uh, mannerisms and behaviors. And for a long time, I had taken this for granted, right? I just thought that, you know, uh, maybe they are just stereotypes. Um, that's really what we've been taught. Um, things like men being naturally prone to like being protective and, being providers, maybe these are just cultural stereotypes. Again, you start looking at the, the text of scripture and it's very clear, Genesis 2.15, this is actually wrapped up in the DNA and the fabric and the nature of who men are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it really is this mannerisms issue. Um, and, and what I noticed too, like in the church was a lot of the people that get a pass were very much malikos. They are very much effeminate. But if we've reduced our definition just to the, the, the sex act, then none of those categories are, are sinful in right. that view. And that to me became problematic. Mm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's grooming. Uh, it, people forget that there's a progression to sin, 
you know, and there's progression for individuals, there's progression of sin for societies. That's what Romans one is all about that, you know, people are born, you know, people are born spiritually blind. Um, right. But, but not entirely. Um, that's the very reason why they're judged by God is you, O oh man are without an excuse because, um, because God has clearly displayed these things, right? His, his eternal nature, his uh, divine power, eternal power and divine nature has been clearly put on display so that you are without an excuse. So people are born, um, I would say they're, they're blind um, to, basically natural revelation is sufficient for one thing, to condemn, right? We need special revelation for salvation, but natural revelation is sufficient to condemn. It shows us something. So people aren't completely ignorant, but they, they progress in ignorance. Um, because of rebellion. It's not that people are ignorant of God and therefore they choose to rebel unknowingly, but people are rebellious towards God. And in their rebellion, they lie and suppress the truth and deeds of unrighteousness, which gives birth to a, a further and further ignorance. And that ultimately displays itself. It manifests in first impurity. And I think of, in terms of societies, I think of America, impurity, um, okay, easy divorce. Um, okay, pornography. And then impurity moves to shameful acts and, you, you know, homosexuality. And then it moves to a debased mind where people become inventors of evil. Uh, drag queen story hour. That sounds, that sounds like one that would have shocked even the apostle Paul. Uh, but the final step is surprisingly um, society's general approval of those who practice those things. And so that's, that's where we are. And sadly, the church is not an exception. The church in general has approved of, of many of these things. And there's some things that are just so biblically clear. The church, at least some of the church that has remained at least somewhat faithful said, okay, well, we can't approve of full-blown homosexual uh, sexuality, uh, but they've, they've approved of as much as they can, like right up to the door. Uh, so they, they approve of effeminacy. Um, they, I think as Michael Foster says, if you want to know how to be a man, read a magazine written to women and just model that, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, be assertive, yeah. you know, take, take dominion, uh, you know, all those kind of things. So we, the church, sadly, the church loves masculinity whenever it sees it in women <laughs> and the church hates masculinity whenever it sees it in men. And, uh, and, and we would say that that's, that's not permissible. We would say that that in itself, even if it never um, goes into full fruition of homosexual shameful acts, we would say even that in itself is inherently against the word of God is sin. Would, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's interesting, Joel, because I, I think what you've seen in the last couple of years, um, it, really a lot of people brought this up, but it's, it's an apocalypse. It's an unveiling. Um, a lot of people's hands are being played. And what you see in Christendom is really the mainstreaming of anti-masculinity so um, I decided to torture myself. I, I got a copy of Christian Cobes Dumez book, Jesus and John Wayne. Mm. I started reading this book and it was like, it, it's just so obvious how hated biblical sexuality is. But I think what's surprising is, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that wasn't quite in the mainstream. But now, like when you listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church, right. she's one of the you know, prominent speakers in, I think, That's episode right. four and then some, some of the ones following. Yep. So I think it's the mainstreaming of that. What's been really interesting, though, um, tied to the, like, the Ukraine situation, all the like, egalitarian, leftist, feminist, Christian people who work at Christianity Today, mm -hmm. um, you know, the Beth Moore types and Russ Moore and all that, all that sort of stuff. It's fascinating because you, you have the, 
Zelensky of Ukraine and they're like praising him like what a man you know he's acting courageously so it's funny because they they know exactly what masculinity is that's right you know um veer the latin for virtue uh courage man like you can't say man without saying courage um we we know this and they're they're actually not dumb enough to not know that um but yeah it's this just onslaught this attack on masculinity again 10 years ago i, I think it was more subtle um Certainly, feminism was rampant in the culture then, too. But I think now it's just all holds barred. Uh, nobody's hiding anything. All the yeah. cards are on the table. No, I completely agree. It's funny. Masculinity and Christian nationalism, right? So, so Russell, Moore, <laughs> yes. Russell Moore loves masculinity and he loves Christian nationalism <laughs> so long as it's uh, on the other side of the world. Right. If you're in Ukraine, yes. be a Christian nationalist, man. Let's let's hunker <laughs> down. Let's secure these borders. Yeah. Right. Um but, but if you do it here, then all of a sudden it's wrong, which really just goes to show that Christian nationalism, uh, it's a boogeyman that needs to be debunked. But it is. Uh, beyond that, it's, Christian nationalism isn't actually what they hate. What they hate is um, they hate America, right? It's America last. That's, that's the commitment uh, because they're totally fine with another nation um, improving itself, another nation securing its borders, another nation standing up to someone who's invading, all those kinds of things. They're, they're completely fine with that. Um, they just, they just don't think that America should do it. Um, so it's, it's America has to be, yeah. go ahead. And I think, you know, you ask a question like, at least I do. I say, well, why America? Why hate America so much? Why can I be Ukrainian, but not, not American? I think, look, they're, they're very smart. They know um, that America is built on, you know, this Western Christendom um, you, 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 without the reformation and puritanism and all those things coming to this country, you don't have a country the way it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, they know that they have to erode those foundations. I think really what we're seeing, you know, somebody like Michael Fallon has pointed to this a number of times, but just accelerating the contradictions in our culture, tear down the foundations, um, patriarchy built America. And that's why even now, even though we're experiencing judgment, we're an apostate nation, all these things, even now, there's still leftover blessings from covenant faithfulness from years behind us. Yeah. Um, and they know that. And so, yeah, we have to attack sexuality. Um, the irony I always point to as, as well is like, we're encouraging the men to be effeminate and wear like super tight skinny jeans and, you know, just even the mannerisms, the 11th commandment, the niceness, mm-hmm. um, something that you've talked about, the empathy, all of those things, it, it's all effeminate mannerisms. Well, we teach the men to do that, but then what are we telling the women, right? Who, who are all the people who are going through these transgender surgeries? Predominantly, it's women who are being encouraged to do this. Mm. So masculinity is toxic, and yet we're telling all the women you need to become a man. Yeah, It, it literally just makes no sense. And I think the reality is what you, the fundamental understanding that you have to have is, look, they want chaos. Yes. You know, it, this Disorder. is about creating chaos. Disorder. That's yeah. right. And God's instrument for order in creation, you can, what Paul says to Titus, the instrument for creating order is wise fathers, mm. right? So if, if you want to tear down creation, the best thing you, you go after the dads, you go after fatherhood. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, what has happened. I mean, anybody who, any, any young man who is trying to be a man, um, usually very quickly ta- is taken aside and, um, and reprimanded by, um, people in the church and said, don't do that. Don't be like that. That's not like Christ. Um, and it's rough. Um, so l- let's actually look at uh, that text that you referenced, Matthew chapter 11, verse uh, seven, verse seven through 12. Uh, I believe that's what you're referencing is Matthew 11, seven through 12. 
uh, soft men, mm-hmm. right? And palaces. You want to read that for us or you want me to read it? I, I've got it right here if you want me to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I can read it starting in right. uh, verse seven. Yeah. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And I think verse 12 is helpful too. From from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent yes. take it by force. Um, John yeah, the Baptist was are, a man. Uh, Camel skin. Yeah, he was. Locust, voice crying out in the wilderness. John the Baptist was masculine. He was a man. And... Uh, and Jesus is saying, you didn't come out into the wilderness to see a pansy. You didn't come out here to see somebody dressed in soft clothing. Uh, you didn't come out to see um, this uh, effeminate, effeminate man. Uh, those people. And I think, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I think that it's, um, <laughs> I, I think that Jesus is being intentional when he says, uh, if you want to see them, you can find them in the, in the palaces of kings. I, yeah. I think of politicians. I think of rulers and kings. That's right. um, he's like, if you want to find soft men, go look at the civil magistrate. Go, go, go over there. Go look in his palace. Go look in the White House. Go look. You, you find soft men. Usually, not always. We've had some good men. George Washington, praise God for him. You know, we've we've had some good ones, but um, you find a lot of soft men more often than not um, in positions of power in palaces. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I think it, it fits the context as well. You look at Jesus' ministry. Um, some of his harshest words really are for two groups of people, right? It's for the apostate Israel, the religious leaders of the day, who were what? They were in bed with the Roman Empire and people who were acting in wicked manner, right? Later uh, in the gospel, you're going to hear them say, you know, we have no king but Caesar, right? right? So it's this, it's, it's really the same, I think, a, a, just a, you know, History doesn't just repeat, it rhymes. And Mm -hmm. so one of the issues is you see much of the same thing happening today, right? You have politicians um, acting very beast-like, and then you've also got the apostate church. Uh, We literally have the mainstream Big Eva church is, I would say many of them are apostate. Mm -hmm. They've literally said, you know, the, the words of Paul aren't the words of Jesus. Yeah. Right. And, and, and we're setting scripture against itself. So just flat out contradicting, uh, scripture, uh, sola scriptura, um, straight up attack on scripture, right? Mm-hmm. And the authority of it. So I think when you look at that, it makes sense. Jesus is going after them um, in in Matthew's gospel and in this passage as well. You know, you can look at the same thing too, what's happening uh, with our leaders today. Why is it, you know, Russ Moore in like 2007, he was talking about the goodness of like patriarchy. Yep, I remember. Well, what happened? You know, what happened? Uh, I was at Southern Seminary and he was there. And at the time, honestly, there was not a shred of, wow, Russ is going soft or he's right. going woke or any of that stuff happening. But I think what happens is these guys realize where the power and the money and the fame is. That's right. They realize where the culture was going. And over time, what you see is, look, they're not leaders. They're they're fundamentally playing the wind. They're um, They're playing the waves. That That's exactly right. We've called them grifters for a very specific reason. 
And it's interesting too, the other thing to point out in the passage from verse 12, people love to, to get around, how do I get around the word violence hmm. in this verse? Um, part of masculinity is not, not only just like a spiritual violence in a holy zeal. I'm not saying, I, I think that's there as well, yeah. oh. but there's a time for men to be violent. Um, there's a time when you do need a sword and you need, you need to defend and you'll do that in righteous fashion. Um, it's just interesting because uh, this is not Jesus meek and mild in the passage. It's Jesus portraying a, a vision of masculinity in John that is, uh, you, you might call it today, hyper-masculine. They'd probably call it toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we're told to be. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, and we're told that they're the ones who inherit the kingdom of God. So, so yeah. not just that we should be that because it's commendable, but if we're not that, uh, then we should be, we should be concerned. I think of, uh, yeah. I can't remember exactly. I think it's the interpreter's house in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, uh, where, you know, there's seven different visions, uh, that mm-hmm. the interpreter shows to, to Christian, the main protagonist. And, um, one of them, I believe is a man who's dressed for battle and he's storming, um, a palace, yes. like a kingdom. And he's trying to get in and it's heavily guarded by all these different armed men. And he's wielding his sword and whipping it back and forth and thrusting and, and doing everything he can to get up the steps and into this kingdom. And, um, and that Bunyan says is this vision, you know, of, um, the text that we just read, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, that uh, the violent take it by force, that there, there is no, no one passively, uh, waltzes into the kingdom of God. It's through much trial and tribulation, uh, which requires perseverance. It requires endurance. And certainly God sovereignly sustains his people. So those who persevere have been preserved. We recognize that, um, that, that God is the, you know, he's the, the active um, agent who is, who is ordaining and causing all these things to come about. But but, but the question is, who, but what is he doing it through? So God ordains something, right? Um, he, he, God ordains the predestinated ends, but, but he also ordains the, the predestinated means by which it comes about. And one of those means That's right. is masculinity. That is one of those means. That, and, and Pilgrim's Progress, the, the second book that's not nearly as famous, but that really takes it from the individual Christian and focuses on the church and this corporate um, picture of, of inheriting the kingdom and journeying together as a community. And, and that's what we see people like feeble-minded, you know, and, and uh, these weaker characters. And it's, it's the strong uh, ones in the company, the masculine ones um, who, who get them through. So, so it's not just that, that if we're soft men, we hurt ourselves. If we're soft men, we hurt others. And, and a lot of times the others don't want us to be hard men. Um, but since when do we give people what they want? So the last time I checked, we, we give people <laughs> yeah. what they need, which just yeah. coincidentally happens to be not always what they want, but, it, but what God wants. Um, and so, you know, and, and hopefully in our discipleship, as people mature, that I, I feel like you could define spiritual maturity like this. When, you, when your wants begin to align with your needs. That's, that's one way I would define spiritual maturity. When I start to want what I need, right? So I want ice cream when I'm three yes. and I need green beans, right? And, and hopefully when I'm an adult, I actually want 
those green beans and, and not just need them uh, to where I can have self-discipline and do it on my own without somebody having to do an airplane spoon in front of my face to get me to open my mouth. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's part of maturity is, is we, 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 uh, we are cultivating desire through discipline, cultivating new desires through discipline at first, um, uh, that, that are shaped around what we actually need and not just what we innately want. And, and the world needs masculine men and the church needs masculine men. Would, would, any thoughts on that? Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's huge. We definitely need it. I think even in the places where men uh, are not present, you know, fatherhood being one of them, you see the just catastrophic effects. Uh, but it also reminds me something in this journey of uh, masculinity, looking at scripture, one of the things that that I began to see, because uh, a lot of people would say this to me, they would say, look, sexuality is not a gospel issue. Sexuality is not a central issue that we should be focusing on. If a guy wants to be masculine or not, doesn't really matter. Obviously, the passages that we've looked at have helped, I think, clarify for me why that's not the case. Um, but one of the things that I also started to see was, uh, you know, through Michael Foster and other people, when you look at the creational purpose in Genesis, Christ redeems us so that we can fulfill and be restored to that purpose. And that's where we find so much of what men are for as well, right? If you're going to be a protector, you're going to be a provider, you're going to fulfill the dominion mandate, you're going to take a wife, you're going to be fruitful and multiply. In order to do these things, like it takes hard masculinity. And the irony is, I think, you know, as people will argue with it, me about this you can read anything like pre-1960 and people just took that for granted yeah. i think that's why a lot of times even it wasn't talked about even the, even the concept of like hard men um you know there's military books by that title handful of hard men um, it was very common to speak of men that way you gotta harden up son you know life's tough uh build some calluses on your hand thinking even of the physical realities of what happens to your body right you lift weights what happens to your muscles well, they stop being soft and squishy and they become hard. And now they're useful for bearing the weight of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so really seeing that actually this, this is related to the gospel. Um, this really is a part of man's identity and women as well, uh, that your sexuality is, is central to, to your sanctification. Like we can't even talk about sanctification apart from sanctification according to your, That's right. your sex. That's right. Yeah, no, that's huge too, because I think sometimes people, you know, they think of the fruit of the spirit. So that part of this gets into our theology proper and doctrine of God, but they think of the fruit yeah. of the spirit and they like to chop it up. Um, you know, so yeah. they think of the fruit of the spirit as like nine different tools in a toolbox and you pull out one for this particular task and you put that tool back and then you pull out another for a different task, you know, um, whereas, you know, we, we would say that the fruit of the spirit, it's, it's more like, instead of, if we say literal fruit, an apple and a banana and an orange and a pineapple, we would say, no, it's, it's more like nine characteristics of just an apple, right? That it's crispy, mm. it's tart, it's also sweet. It's, you know, so nine different characteristics because, and the reason why is because we're talking about the fruit of the spirit, which simply means displays, manifestations, uh, visible, observable, observable, witnessable uh, displays of the Holy Spirit. And, and the reason why we can't chop up the fruit of the Spirit is because we can't chop up the Spirit because the Spirit is God. He is a simple being in philosophical terms. And as both the Westminster and the 1689 uh, Confessions say, God is a most pure spirit without body parts or passions. And so if you have the Holy Spirit, you have 
the whole Holy Spirit, not part of the Holy Spirit, which means Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, and also as the Son of God, divine second member of the Trinity himself, my point is to say there was never a single moment in his earthly life that he was not embodying all of the fruit of the Spirit hmm. in fullness of measure at all times. So when Jesus is throwing over the money changers temp, uh, in, in the temple and he's fashioning a whip out of cords, he is modeling for us gentleness, perfect gentleness. Hmm. Uh, and, and so I think we've, we've severed so the spirit big, yeah. and we've severed the fruit of the spirit and we've, we've severed Jesus and all these different things. And so as that pertains to your point, because a lot of people don't get this, um, you're absolutely right. If we're discipling a woman and we're discipling a man, a, a man, there is a difference. And, and how do we know that there's a difference? Ephesians five, husbands do this, wives yeah. do this. And it's not the same thing. It's two different things. And if we want to be, you know, really controversial, Ephesians 6, right? They're talking to a slave and a master. <laughs> yeah. Slaves do this. Masters do this. Also children, right? The whole thing is about authority in different stations of life. You know, 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about, you know, remain in whatever station of life. And, th and there is room, Paul says, to avail yourself if you can gain your freedom. So there's nothing wrong with improving your station in life in terms of uh, vocation and position and title and those kinds of things. But um, but by and large, we're, we're all under the sovereignty of God in various positions of life and what it looks like for the fullness of the fruit of the spirit to be at work in our lives in that station is going to be distinct versus somebody else in a different station. And one station that doesn't ever fluctuate, that's not fluid, that doesn't move is our gender. Um, it, it looks different for a man to be displaying the spirit and therefore the fruit of the spirit than for a woman. To be, so, so men and women are both called to gentleness. But gentleness in men and women looks different. Would you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, absolutely. And you see that, again, in the household codes, um, in multiple New Testament books, right? It's always broken down into men, women, children usually are in there as well. But what I think is so interesting about it as well is that, you know, people always ask me, and it's weird because it's like the gay Reverend Helens who will say this on Twitter, but they were like, you're just chasing the current fad of patriarchy. And I'm like, okay, first of all, I don't know where that's actually a fad, but is that a current you know, fad? Praise God. If it is, <laughs> that would be good news. <laughs> yes. They that's see it. Great. They see it as a it's big threat. A so yeah. All right. Just like Christian praise nationalism, God, but, huh? That's a huge threat. Yes. Yeah. Huge yes. Threat. Amen for that one too. <laughs> uh, but it's, it, it's really interesting to me because as you start to look at these issues and you break down these household codes, I, I always tell people like, I didn't land on this position um, or really just overall the gendered piety position. You know, we talk about things that are so, uh, you know, unpopular culturally, you know, women should be serving in their households and raising children. And this is part of their sanctification. Yes. Even their salvation. And so, you know, not in the workplace, things like this, people say, well, well you're just doing that because of, you know, it's popular or you read some old book and, and really it's always driving people back my fundamental con conviction was, look, this is what the scripture teaches. Mm -hmm. It's actually inconvenient for me. And I found this, um, you can identify with this, I'm sure. I found this pastorally. These are pastorally inconvenient texts for me to have to preach. Yeah. But as I'm preaching them, uh, we believe in sola scriptura. And so we're sitting there and we're going, but this is what it says. Mm -hmm. I mean, Paul's not making, you know, in First Timothy 2, he's not making a cultural argument. He's making a creational argument. And right. it's like one of the most plain things you'll ever read and exposit mm -hmm. a, as a preacher. So being faced with that, I think that's where I was really started to become grounded in a biblical sexuality was this is what scripture teaches. I know mm -hmm. it's 
hated in the culture, but this is what it says. And it's timeless. Yeah, you're right. It's not, it's not unique to that place and that time. It's not a cultural argument. It's a creation. He's drawing from the, the created order. And in first Corinthians 11 is another example. Uh, people hmm. like to say, well, this is what was going on in Corinth, you know, temple prostitution and those kinds of things. Um, but, but one, Paul says, if anyone wants to be contentious about these things, verse 16, first Corinthians 11, 16, uh, we have no such practice in all the churches. So, and, and the practice not being head covering, but the practice being, being yeah. contentious, argumentative yeah. about it, wanting to disobey apostolic commands. And so Paul right there says, this isn't unique to Corinth, this position of, of a woman covering her head in worship. This is in all the churches. So it's not just because something unique is happening in Corinth, like temple prostitution. Um, and then when he talks about it, he, you know, he talks about, again, woman being made from man and for man and woman is the glory of man and man is the glory of God. And, and these, this kind of language, it's about design. It's about creation. It's not, it's not, um, a momentary concept. It is a timeless command that we've received from God. That's, that's built into the fabric of the way that he created the world. And I feel like for no other reason, I, I would, I would adhere to, you know, I would call myself patriarchal because we live in the father's world. God has revealed himself to us as a father and he has sent to us also his son and it is he, not it, not she, but he, the Holy Spirit. And so we live in the father's world. The father has set up his world to function by a certain set of fatherly rules. And, and he rules and reigns in his world through fathers in fathers in the home, fathers in the church. We call them elders and to a lesser degree deacons and fathers in the state, uh, in the state. And the civil magistrate bears the sword as God's avenger. And I would say that the sword belongs to men. And I would look at even Deuteronomy and things like that, a woman not dressing like a man and, and not wearing his armor, his garbs, his weaponry, and those kind of things. So that if the civil magistrate bears the sword, then I would say that the civil magistrate by and large should be men. I understand there might be some administrative positions and things like that. So the point is in all these three primary spheres that God instituted, home, church, and state, he has appointed fathers uh, to be the conduit of his benevolence and his blessing and provision and protection and all these things. So the father's world, the father's rules, and he reigns and blesses through the continent of earthly fathers in, in all three of these spheres. And I don't know what word to use for that other than patriarchy. <laughs> you know, I just, yeah. 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 Go ahead. Yeah. I think especially, yeah. When you examine the text, um, you look at um, Ephesians, especially Chris Wiley's really good about pointing this out. Um, you know, even Potter, you know, the P-A-T-E-R, you know, and just all these words, like you can't even say family without saying father. And, and, and it's all embedded in God's creation. And I think really we come to the point, this is actually Russ Moore point um, that he made in a chapel uh, years ago. This is like pre-2008 probably. Um, and, and I thought it was amazing. He was talking about Romans 9, but it applies here as well. And he said, listen, you know, Paul's response, he, he talks about in Romans 9, then, then also election in Ephesians 1. Paul's response is to praise God for predestination and election. So what we have to bring ourselves to is hierarchy and patriarchy is God's design. And what we should do is not like begrudge it and not say, oh, that's his design. I wish it was different. We should actually be praising God for this. Mm -hmm. This is good. Um, when you look at creation specifically, you know, the Lord made them male and female. And then over all this, God says, this is good. This is right. very good. Mm. Right. And so that, I, I think that's the other part of this is that 
it's not just that we should be on the defense. Um, and, and this is where I would encourage people too, is like, I don't apologize for what scripture says, right? That's the, the, the beginning point for so much heresy and error uh, in the church is feeling apologetic to the culture, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the Tim Keller model of like, well, let's follow, you know, Stephen Colbert's example of like, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk to the culture in terms that they can handle. Right. Well, you know, the reality is that sinful man cannot handle the truth of scripture That's right. apart from the spirit of God. And so we're going to, what are we going to do then? Are we going to hide uh, behind our fig leaves? No, we're going to boldly proclaim it mm-hmm. and we're going to trust God and we're going to pray for the spirit. And we're going to ask God to transform these people's hearts and, right. and may they repent because we um, love but it's not going to be because I was just going to say, because yeah. we love God, but also because we love them. Cause ultimately what Timothy Keller's That's asking right. us to do is to hate people. Not, not just to hate yes. God, which is first and foremost, to hate God and disobey God, That's right. but to hate people. Because if we only give man what he can handle, it goes back to that whole idea of trying to align what we want with what we actually need, uh, which is a sign yes. of, of, of maturity and namely spiritual maturity. But, but the pagan doesn't have spiritual maturity. The pagan does not desire um, what he actually needs, right? Romans 8, the mind of the sinful man is it's not indifferent. It's not neutral. It's, it's, it's hostile. It is at enmity, at war with God and his law. And, and so the, the mind of the sinful man uh, does not desire, does not uh, want, and therefore cannot handle um, the truth. And so if we give them only what they can handle, then, then what we have to ultimately reserve from them is the very thing that, that they need, the thing that would save them. And, and so we're, we're not, we're not loving them. We're, we're hating them. We are, we are damning them to hell. Um, and, and, and we're not doing it for them. I think we just need to quit pretending because you're right. It's like, how did these guys who seemed solid, um, how did they go off the deep end? How did they drift? How, you know, and, and the answer is it's the fear of man, you know, that they, they love the, you know, the glory Jesus said to the Pharisees, they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And, and they love the praise right. of men and, and they became very popular because they did have some really good things to say. Um, at least some good things to say. And they became popular and not just popular within the church, but they began to be given prestige and welcome by people in the culture. And, and they loved it. They loved it. Like the ring with Gollum, it poisoned their hearts and they, and they didn't want to, yeah. they didn't want to give it up. And so as the culture continued to gravitate further and further from God, um, they, they made concession after concession after concession because they love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. And, but yeah, it is, it's, it is ultimately, I mean, that's what Keller's doing is he's calling us to hate people. He, he's basically saying, don't give them the gospel. And if Keller was here to be fair in his defense, he would say, well, no, 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 you just need to contextualize the gospel. And I, and I, oh my goodness, I can't stand that. Um, <laughs> cause, cause what he means by contextualize the gospel um, cause I'm all for contextualizing the gospel, but, uh, in, in brief, I'll say it like this to contextualize the gospel. When we present the gospel to different cultures and different people and different places of life, what, what we're doing in our contextualization is we are, are, um, are utilizing everything we possibly can to make the gospel clearer. But when other guys like Keller say contextualize the gospel, what they mean is obscure the gospel. Uh, water down the gospel, truncate the gospel, take, uh, take the punch out of the gospel, um, you know, they're, they're weaken the gospel, make the gospel impotent. Uh, you know, that, that's what they water it down. Um, so where, whereas Paul, when he contextualizes the gospel, he's making, uh, he's taking everything. He's saying, all right, if I just give you my, my typical gospel presentation, 
Uh, you'll probably get it, but I really want to make sure you get it. I really want to make sure you know that, that there is a thrice holy God who is the creator of heaven and earth. And I really want to make sure you know that you've committed cosmic treason against him and that, and that you, uh, dust from the earth have raised your fist in defiance of him and are worthy of his eternal just uh, torment and wrath for, for all of eternity. I, I don't want you to miss that. So I'm going to contextualize the gospel. <laughs> That's not how Keller uses the, the phrase contextual no. contextualization. So, yeah. No. And you can tell by the way that like, he's praising, you know, Colbert's gospel, quote unquote, gospel presentation, no which gospel was like, that, yeah, I, I, the pastor I was talking to after I watched that, he was like, he could have been talking about Buddhism. Like yeah. it was so, it was so vague, but I, I think what's interesting um, all of this, and you can, whether you're talking about the big, fast and famous church models, whether you're talking about contextualization, um, you know, bringing brand marketing into the church as a strategy, no matter what you're talking about and, and biblical sexuality, throw that in there too. No matter what you're talking about, the fundamental issue, it goes back to uh, Matthew chapter 11. W- when I first came ab- across that passage, kind of Toby Sumter was preaching on it. I've seen it with new eyes, I think. And I realized something. I was like, well, if, if you're going to be the hard man, like John the Baptist, like you're going to get your head cut off. John, John was hated. He had to live in the desert. Mm. You, you don't grow up on the fear of man when you dress in camel's hair and eat bugs. Yeah. yeah. It's like God was hardwiring into John. You cannot fear man. You have to fear God. Mm. And so I think when We've talked to people about like, you know, how do you embrace this message? Well, first of all, you have to fear God. You have to love the glory that comes from God and not from men. Mm-hmm. And and listen, like count the cost. I mean, when I started the podcast, um, I, I've worked in magazine industry and a bunch of other stuff. Literally bosses came to me and were like, yeah, you're going to get fired. And I was <laughs> like, you know, I believe it's true. I believe it's a frontline battle in our culture. And man, what have we heard for two years straight? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guys tell me this all the time. Yeah, you're right. But man, in my situation, I it was just the cost would be too much. I said, listen, the, the problem is somebody somewhere is going to have to stand up and say no. Yeah. Um, and I know for a fact it, it's been costly. I've had friends, you know, I have a Twitter account. I have friends, literally a guy called me and he said, hey, man, I just shared your tweet and I got fired. And I said, what do you mean? And, and it was literally like from first Corinthians seven, you know, wives should love your husbands. You should not withhold sex from them. Mm. Like straight what the passage says. Nothing. I didn't add hardly anything to it. And the crazy and, thing is uh, he got he, fired, but his job was, he was actually a professor at Southern Baptist seminary. They fired him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah, actually kidding. it's like, you, you can't even make this stuff up. And so you're, you're thinking about this and it's like, okay, listen, it's going to be unpopular some of us are just going to have to lead the charge and be hated and embrace really the spirit of John the Baptist. You, you know, you go out, you, in a sense, you violently preach. Um, you're confronting the idols of the day. Hmm. Uh, pe- people will say the same thing to me. Like, well, it seems like you're trying to aggravate the feminist. I'm like, I'm not trying to aggravate the feminist. I'm trying to preach the truth, but I know what the idol of the day is. That's, That's right. the thing. That's right. Like Gideon, you know, it's not like, well, go out in the public square and, and just kind of like talk to them and see, like build a relationship with them for a little while. Right. And then, you know, over time, as you build your relational capital, you know, you can speak to them in a way that the culture can handle mm. and that they can handle. No. What did he do? He, he went and he burnt the altar down in the street. That's and right. I think that's a huge part of we just have to embrace that as, as part of what ministry is going to look like in our context. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I'm looking, trying to find a quote, but I'm not going to find it. But it was Charles Spurgeon. Um, no, it wasn't. It was Martin Luther. It was Martin Luther. And he said, um, he said, wherever the battle rages the fiercest, there the loyalty of the soldier is tested. And I'm paraphrasing. Um, hmm. He said, if I, he said, if I fight with, with as much courage and bravery as possible on every point of orthodoxy, but, but I shrink on the one point that currently is under fire, where the, ba- the battle is currently raging, then I deny Christ, uh, that I'm not professing Christ. And I think that's what that I... That was pretty impressive, by the way. Uh, I, I looked that up as you were reading it. That was, was pretty that close? darn close. Okay, all right. Yeah, so the, the only little read, difference read was the finish. He says... Go ahead and read Yeah, it. so it says, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. Mm. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Gosh, that's a good quote. I was close, it's but, amazing. but that's better. <laughs> you were. Yeah, that, that man, was. that's a great quote. So, so with that, this is, I, I remember I did a, a short video one time that, that got some decent attention about um, how, how to tell if your pastor's a coward. And I said, one of the ways to tell if your pastor's a coward is if he rails with pseudo courage um, against giants that are already laying face down in the dirt. Right. Oh, that's huge. Um, the, I think, I think that's one of the things it's like, you know, a boy, you know, boys who shave, right. You know, and you're hit, you're basically, you're hitting, you're hitting a giant that may have been a giant, right. Toxic masculinity may have actually been a thing, but it hasn't been a thing. Not by and large, not, of course, there no. are anecdotal evidence and, and one-off cases and stuff. But if we talk about at large plaguing the culture and the church today, today, um, that's not the issue. The issue is not masculinity. The issue is feminism. We know that's the issue. Uh, but what we'll see is we'll see guys attacking giants after some brave, some actually brave David already slayed them, right? So it's like, it's like the people of Israel. They're, they're quivering. They're shaking as, as Goliath is not just taunting them, but he's defying God. He's cursing and blaspheming God. And, and David says, who, what in the world is going on? Why is nobody cutting off this guy's head, this uncircumcised Philistine who has the gall and the audacity to defy the armies of the living God? I will cut off your head and feed your carcass to the birds this day. And he does it. And, and there's something in the men of, of the people of God that, that is, that is ignited in that moment that's kindled and boom, they pursue the Philistines and they do what they always were, were capable of doing right? It's not like we couldn't have done it without David. They actually could have done it with, without David. So long as it without David wasn't without the Lord. So long as they had the Lord, they didn't need David. They could have pursued the Philistines and Goliath and taken them all down, but they needed courage. They needed to be encouraged, inflamed with courage. And I, and I think, man, I think guys like you, uh, guys like Doug Wilson, guys like Jeff Durbin, guys like Toby Sumter, guys like, uh, Michael Foster, um, the the Christian men in our nation, especially in all around the world, need um, a couple of guys to 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 just to say we can do it. We can we can take them. We can take them. I, I you know we can. Yeah. Do, and then all of a sudden, what happens is yeah, you get a lot of ridicule, and yeah, you get a lot of flack, and yeah, uh, some people they they hate you and they try to get you fired and they try to cancel you. And I'm talking about Christians, sadly, right now. But yeah. Um. But but there's also a ton of other people. That, that you don't always see, but who are invigorated and, 
and inspired. And, and they're like, he's right. He's right. I know he's right. We've got, and, and they start taking their stands and we don't always see it, but they start taking us, maybe it's just taking a stand in their marriage, right? I love like Doug Wilson's concept of, you know, um, establishing a house of peace on the foundation of, uh, the solid foundation of lies, <laughs> you know, it's like, and what he's getting at is like, you, you cannot yeah. tell your wife what she wants to hear if it requires deceitfulness simply to keep the peace. That's not a, That's a, right. a true peace. And so, and so one of the ways to, to be masculine, to be courageous, um, is to stand up to your own wife. And that's not being harsh or, or anything like that, but uh, just having uh, the courage to actually love your wife enough to tell her the truth and not just what she wants, but what she actually needs to hear. And so there are a ton of men who've been listening to you and all these other guys, and we don't always see uh, the, the, the incredible victories that God is bringing about by a few Davids. And I know Matt Chandler would say, well, you're not David. And I was like, well, I actually think, <laughs> I know I'm not David, but I actually think that we should emulate yeah. godly examples of people in the Bible. It's not just, it's, yes, Jesus, all the scripture points towards Christ and Christ is the better David. Um, but that still, that doesn't do anything. So don't follow David's example. Okay, then follow Christ. And David was a type of Christ and he sets the same example for us. So no matter how you slice it, we need to go after Goliath. And when we do all the men behind us who just a second ago their knees were shaking so the, the spirit of god comes upon them when they see things like that and they and and then all of a sudden they're running right behind you guys who were, who were just moments ago cowering are all of a sudden shouting and and charging into the battle and and the men are there and they, they just need they, you know, if you would just lead them, you know, William Wallace. Yes. You know? so. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely William Wallace is exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, you he know, he tells the Bruce in the movie, uh, you know, men don't follow titles. They follow courage. Mm -hmm. um, and what you see, I, I, I was thinking as you were talking about that, it's a Billy Graham quote, uh, but he said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. Mm. And, you know, fortunately we have, and that's been kind of the cool thing, like hearing people's feedback, but it, it, it is so, I mean, it's just the grace of God. You hear these stories and you think, man, I, I was basically just, you know, trying to, to be faithful in this little sphere. And it's probably encouragement for other people, you know, be faithful where you are. If you have a five, 10, 15 talent guy, it doesn't matter. Be faithful with whatever talents the Lord has given you. Um, we have a unique opportunity, many of us in our day, you know, podcasts and stuff like what we're doing now, but um, you have the opportunity, like you said, just to be courageous. And we've had people say, I mean, these are the ones that get me like, I'll get emails from women and they'll say, you know, I was disobeying my husband for years and I really bought the lie of feminism and I had to go to him and repent. And I, I decided to quit my job and we're going to start having children. Mm. Um, I mean, I hear stuff like that and literally just brings tears to your eyes. Yeah. Um, because you're seeing that God is transforming people in the midst of all the chaos that's going on. God is still so faithful mm -hmm. um, in all of this. He hasn't left us alone. And there are people who are being faithful. And, and the other thing I would say to, to pastors, you're bringing this up before, but I, I always called it expositional cowardice, <laughs> right? Where you're like preaching through a text and you're like, yeah, I mean, everything you said is, you didn't say anything that was a lie, but you, you just, passed right over the, you know, 800 pound gorilla in the room that we know. And, and so often I think, you know, I've asked myself this a lot as a pastor, why don't I preach that the way that it ought to be preached? Um, why, or at least why am I like, I, I want to draw back from it. Mm -hmm. And I think every faithful man who's preaching 
um, is going to face those moments. And, and the reality is, is because, you know, you have, you know, in your churches, you know, you have feminists, you know, you have men who aren't leading, you know, you have men who are acting, you know, butch and it's uncomfortable. And you know that that's going to be pastorally inconvenient. You've got to, you've got to deal with those things. You know that you have elders and deacons and people in your church that there's sin that people have left unaddressed for a long time. And you're looking at it and you're saying, I'm going to have to deal with that. And this is really where, you know, the masculinity comes in, as you were saying, you're going to have to deal with your wife. You're going to have to deal with your children. You know, by the way, you're going to have to start with yourself. You know, he who conquers must conquer himself first. Hmm. So all of these things, this is where, to me, it's like courage on the big stage is like fun and, and, and glamorous sometimes. But for me, where I learned a lot of this is just little habits in the trenches of, I have to go talk to this person and I really don't want to. Mm-hmm. And I could go into the conversation and I could be like, you know, kind of smooth things over and pull my punches. Or I could just go in that conversation and say like, look, brother, I think you've sinned. I think here's where it is. I love you. And here I am. Like, yep. let's work through this. Amen. That's where a lot of the courage is going to show up. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the Lord, the Lord is faithful. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you do get attacked, if you, like, I, you know, it sounds like, you know, you, you lost some things. There was a cost. There's always a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to following Jesus. Um, you know, but I, 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 I had similar experiences. I remember, you know, when I taught through first Timothy, it was 2019 taught through first Timothy. And instead of speeding up, right. The 800 pound gorilla, um, I got to first Timothy, you know, I had mapped it out and it was first Timothy chapter two, verses nine through 15. And I was going to do it in a week and I decided to slow down. And uh, I spent a whole week just on the way that women dressed, a man telling women how to dress. <laughs> and then I, you know, I spent three weeks on uh, a woman I should not teach. She must learn quietness and full submission. I'm, I do not allow her to teach or exercise authority over a man. I spent almost a whole week uh, just on uh, women will be saved through childbearing. Um, and so I spent four weeks on that text. And, uh, and in those four weeks, I kid you not, I lost about a third of the church. About 40, really? 40 adults left the church. Did you get a lot of feedback from the people who left? Yeah. Uh-huh. I got 20 page papers, uh, emails, oh, uh, from, from, and from the men, okay. you know, and, uh, they were not quiet about it. <laughs> no, they weren't quiet. And, uh, even some of the things that we've talked about so far on, on this episode, where I talked about yeah, you know, yeah. um, the fruit of the spirit coming as a package deal, the spirit, not being divisible in parts, simple being, and the fruit of the spirit, all of them being present for the believer, um, at all times, um, it, it, you know, Jesus had in full, full measure, but the, the f- whole spirit is, is present for the believer, the indwelling spirit of God. And it's our sin that is simply veiling the spirit at times. And so as we put sin to death by grace, as we mortify the flesh, um, then, then the spirit shines brighter. Um, and, and as we're, you know, taking courage in this instance over here, it's, it's not that, uh, we're putting gentleness to the side. That's what gentleness looks like when applied to this situation. And so I talked about all that, but then I also talked about that in, in the terms of, um, and the fruit of the spirit looks different in a woman and looks different hmm. in a man. And, and so I talked about that, you know, and, um, and, uh, yeah, I was called a heretic. I, you know, like 20 page paper. I mean, people, they, they lost their minds. I mean, they were, furious, furious. You could see women on the back roll road, like taking, jotting out notes um, so that when they met with me later, they could criticize all, all the, I mean, wow. so there is a cost, you know, there's absolutely a cost. Um, but God is so faithful. I mean, so yeah, there was a cost and, you know, but 
but here I am now and planting a new church. And, and now people, I, I don't have a bunch of feminists in my church because feminists don't like me and won't come to my church, you know, uh, whereas before <laughs> it's I a mean, natural repellent, right? So there's a cost to following Jesus, but to be honest, there's also a cost to previous sin. You know, like, like yeah. if I'm, if I'm going to be honest, the cost that I was paying there was a retroactive cost that I had been storing up um, by my prior unfaithfulness. And I think a lot of pastors yeah. aren't honest about that. They're like, you know, like, oh, I obeyed God and look at what it cost me. Well, part of the reason it cost you so much in one instance is because you weren't paying that cost every day in little bites. You know, it's, it's like a penalty, right? Like if you get a, a traffic violation or something like that and you refuse to pay the ticket and it accumulates further fines and all these kind of things and it built, it's like debt, you know? And, and so yeah. uh, a lack of obedience over long periods of time um, accrues a heavier cost. One of the ways, you know, Jesus, all those who are heavy laden and, and, you know, who are weary come to me, I'll give you rest. And it's like, what Jesus is going to give me rest. Like the guy who says, take up your cross and fall. Yeah, I'm going to give you rest. And, and I, I, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And it's like, how in the world is the yoke of Christ easy and his burden light? Yeah. Well, I, I would say one of the ways that it's well, two ways, two ways that it's easy and light is one, he gives you his very spirit to empower you. Uh, but two, mm -hmm. um, he calls you to walk with him daily and you get stronger along the way. And when you, when you follow Jesus and you're paying the cost over a lifetime, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not as, as taxing. And so now at my day-to-day -day life of obeying Jesus, I don't, I'm not experiencing huge fallouts. Sure. Online, I still, you know, get blasted and stuff like that, but who cares? That's like a lot of times that's something, you know, even my wife will just for fun, we'll look at some of the YouTube comments and laugh together, you know, like, oh my God. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, people making fun and they'll even make fun of my physical appearance, you know, just like low jabs. Oh, and, yeah. and it's a great opportunity to just, because who am I? You know, it's a great opportunity to not take yourself seriously, yeah. laugh at yourself. It's like, yeah, I am kind of ugly. I, you know, I, I kind of agree, <laughs> you know, and so, you know, but you just, it's, yeah. it's okay. Yes. It's, oh, there's so much freedom, you know, and, um, and then in that freedom, as you're following Jesus, all these other people start to surround you who actually have your back, who actually love you, who aren't going to stab you in the back and betray you or leave you, you know, because you start preaching something that's in the word of God. And, um, it, it's like, it's like your, your, your relationships get fewer, but richer, fewer, but deeper. Yeah. That ahead, is so true. And, and, and I, I was going to say just through ministry and everything that, that we've been through, you, you kind of figure out like, cause we were in a lot of the sort of like T4G style churches, uh, post-seminary for a long time. And it was like every church I'd go to, they were kind of like, at some point they'd be like, yeah, you don't have to leave, but like this gendered piety, sexuality stuff, like, you know, you probably could find a better place elsewhere and be happier. Mm. Um, cause they're so non-confrontational about right. everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but what we found is, it, it was sort of like uh, Nate Wilson said this, but um, he said, when you're facing sharks, he said, the way you get them to go away is you lean in, mm. like you show no fear, basically. Mm. And so as we started to do that, it was progressive over time, right? But within a couple of years, uh, we really started to find our gang. Uh, we end up Refuge Church, Brian Sauvé, Dan Burkholder, pastors here. But now it's exactly what you said. Like, we're surrounded by people who are like, like, if we're going to war spiritually or otherwise, like these people have your back. Right. Um, some of the relationships that we've formed here, it's just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But I think it, it's that faithfulness of saying, look, I'm willing to be hated. I know that I'm not popular, uh, but I'm, I'm going to find my tribe and I'm going to be faithful to God. 
Um, and, and just over time, I mean, even the, even the work stuff, you know, I was, it was a cost I had to, you know, face out for a long time, but it was funny too. Like eventually I, I met a guy who was supporting the Hardman podcast. Um, and he said, you know, Hey, media company, you want to come work for me? And I'm like, well, I mean, look, God is blessing, you That's know, awesome. um, he, he's taking care of his people, you know, same deal. Uh, you, you, you're talking about what God's done with the church. I think it would be my encouragement to a lot of men like, yeah, there's going to be initial fallout, but you know, listen, God says, am I going to leave or forsake you? No, never. Right. Um, there's nothing that you lack. The young lions suffer hunger and want, but you don't, mm. you know, the Lord is going to supply you richly. And, and I would say that truly, it's like, it's not like this, this martyr's path of just woe is me, but God's richly, richly blessed yeah. as, as we've leaned into the buzzsaw. That's right. Amen. And I feel like there's just, yeah, God is just waking people up left and right all around our nation. I, I feel yeah. like, um, I mean, you know, us screaming in a microphone in a podcast has not done nearly as much persuasive, has not yeah. had nearly the, the, the persuasive effect of, of uh, a year and a half of Joe Biden's presidency. God bless Joe Biden. <laughs> that guy, man, he makes all of my arguments <laughs> for me much, much, much more effectively than I could. <laughs> yes. um, that guy has just shown how tyranny is terrible, how left how politics and ideology and Marxism and socialism and all these, and effeminacy. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's something we talked about before we recorded, but uh, soft men uh, kill. They, they, they lend towards the, the killing, the death of, of people all over the place. 13 Marines, you know, killed in combat, Amer American citizens, you know, in Afghanistan because Joe Biden is a soft man, right? I know it's a multifaceted situation, but his softness is, is part of, of what happened there, you know, and the tyranny of oh, yeah. ch children ha having to wear masks, you know, at school while, while, well, adults, you know, are having parties unmasked and the hypocrisy and that, that, that is a soft man, president empathy, right? We, we can't handle another mean tr tweet from Trump, you know, and like, and, and, and I'm not saying that Trump is a hard man. He has some hard man. He's weird. It's like, he's a hard man and a soft man in some way. Cause he, there's so much self-focus, yeah. you know, and building up self. And uh, so in some yeah. ways I would say Trump actually is effeminate. Although of course I voted for him and, and I appreciated his, you know, his four years in office and I'd be happy oh, yeah. to see him again. But, but, you know, I want to be fair and say like Trump was a soft man in some, in some other areas, but there, there's a way of being a soft man by being aggressive, but self-focused and you're actually insecure. But there's another way of being a soft man where you put on this thin veneer of empathy and compassion and I'm a caring president. I'm going to unite, you know, and, and, uh, and it's yeah. all a lie. It's all yeah, a it lie. It really is. It's interesting. I, I always said about Donald Trump, you know, he's sinning in the direction of <laughs> authentic masculinity. So a lot of it is, is sin. That's a good way to um, say but it. But you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of like the, the difference right between, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're sinning along the lines of masculine character traits. So it's like, gotcha, you know, gotcha. he's talking debaucherously about, you know, women, mm -hmm. but you know, on a lot of people in the other camp, you were talking about pedophilia. That's right. And that's a very different thing. That's a very different direction. But I, I do think, um, and it's a good, it's a good example. And Jesus and John Wayne, actually in the introduction, um, it, it's like the talking points from the DNC when, when you read the first part of the book. Hmm. Um, so I'll spare you from having to do that. But um, basically what Donald Trump was the thing that brought everything to light. Hmm. Um, it brought these people out of the woodwork. They absolutely vehemently hate this guy. And 
I think a lot of it is because he's not, you know, quote unquote, deep state. He's not part of the establishment. Right. He's a disruptor. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other part about it is he, he, again, he's sinning in masculine directions. Um, even the stuff, you know, we were talking about with Ukraine, Russia, again, complex geopolitical situation. But fundamentally, I mean, the memes are not wrong. Yeah. There's a reason this didn't happen on Trump's watch That's because right. uh, he was, for all of his failures, he was not a weak person. That's right. Um, so you kind of combine this, this weak sclerotic Joe Biden with the gynocratic rule of Kamala and, and really what people don't realize, like the Obama white house is really in office right now in a sense. Susan Rice, very much involved, John Kerry, all these people, um, who created the the original problem starting back in, you know, in the, in the, in the early teens of the two thousands. But yeah, it it fundamentally comes down to that, but then it's so hypocritical because what's the response in all this, right? Who are we praying? We're praising Zelensky. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're calling for military. Military is like fundamentally, like I've talked to people in the military. Yeah, they do these little PR stunts where the purple haired, whatever generals or, you know, the transgenders, right, right. Um, they parade those people out there. But when it comes down to it, they're not the ones fighting. Yeah, The ones fighting are your hardcore, tough, you know, Texas bronc riding, you know, Chris Kyle types. Yeah. And, and there's a reason, like we know that that's who you need to defend. Men are made to be protectors, defenders, fighters, warriors. It's in our nature. You shed blood for your community, all these things. So it's, it's funny. You get into the conflict and they're like, yeah, hey, we need the men to settle up and go to war for us. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, again, we all know, and, and this is what I, this is what I would point to. Chuck Knox says this all the time, but it's the metaphysical reality. These are the realities of God's creation. That's right. This is how he made the world. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like being mad at gravity, it, right. it, being mad that men are this way and women are this way. You know, that, that's the reality. Yeah. The way I say it is uh, you can push back. So part of the dominion mandate that's given to men is to mm-hmm. push back against the curse that is on creation. But there's a mm. distinction in pushing back against the curse on creation versus pushing back against creation itself. And so that's huge. when we try to cure cancer, we're trying to push back the curse on creation. Mm. Uh, but when we try to, to shift up the genders, we're not pushing back on the curse of creation. We're pushing back on creation itself. And as a wise prophet once said in Jurassic Park, nature always <laughs> finds a way. You're not going to beat nature no matter how <laughs> much so technology, true. how much science, uh, nature. If you go to war against nature, nature will win. And the reason why is because it's God's world and he has set it up in such a way that we, we ultimately cannot break his rules uh, without consequences because God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And uh, yeah. So any final thoughts? I think this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So glad to uh, be on here. It's been phenomenal. We've uh, certainly been given, I think, our our fodder recently. As you said, the last couple of years, I've I've just kind of marveled at the moment uh, that it's been. Um, God has been so gracious, and and I would point to certain people like Michael Foster, Doug Wilson, uh, Toby Sumter, Chuck mm-hmm. Knox, people who have influenced me. Super appreciate those guys. One of the things that you know I would leave the listeners with. And uh, it's stuck through my mind is in everything, you know, er, there's this whole like the world's coming apart thing that everybody resorts to every, every time something gets bad. And, you know, no doubt, you know, inflation, all these things are bad. But something particularly Michael Foster always says to me is he's like, Eric, what a huge opportunity we have right now. And I would just press that upon people. This is like I'm looking out there, Joel, and I'm seeing like the fields are white for harvest. Yeah. 
There are yeah. so many people for the first time in their life, they are seeing things they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. They're saying we have a problem. And so pastors, men, especially bring the message of God's design in sexuality, be men, get your households in order, mm-hmm. love your wives as scripture calls you, lead them rule in your homes. As you do these things, don't despair about global. You have almost nothing yeah. that you can do about those things. And God's not going to hold you responsible for that. But what you do have responsibility over, you can go home, you can love your wife, you can raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, and that does make a difference. So be like leaven mm-hmm. in the world. Amen. Thanks so much for coming on, Eric. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Joel. Thanks so much for listening. But real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.